today we're going to turn in our Bibles to 1 John. We're going to, the naivety in me, you guys, you know, we had a little uh, break. We're taking a little break from the book of Isaiah, right? So we got like 28 chapters in. I thought, you know what? Let's just go ahead and study a kind of a short New Testament. We're a new covenant people. Yeah, man doesn't live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we want it all, but I wanted to bring us back kind of into that new covenant kind of zone. I thought we'll go through a short kind of book, and, uh, but man, there's so much in it. Uh, that, you know, it's not quite the brief study that I had naively anticipated. Uh, so, you know, today we're looking at verses 7 through 14 in chapter 2. Next week we'll probably take on a few more verses and then maybe finish chapter 2 the next week and then a couple in the chapter. I mean, so we're going to be here for a few weeks, uh, but I trust that it is uh, refreshing and cleansing to you uh, as we edify one another under the waterfalls of the Word of God. Amen. So, love and war is the title of the message today, and with that, let's take our hearts uh, to the Lord. Father, thank you so much just for your goodness and your mercy, and we thank you, Lord, for just uh, the opportunity to gather collectively, Lord, in this country. Uh, We sometimes take for granted, we don't even understand the degree of blessing that you have given us in the freedom that we have. And I pray, O God, that we would savor every moment, Lord, that we continue to stand in the gap on behalf of this nation and those who lead us. Uh, Lord, that we might continue to honor you and be the light that you've called us to be in this ever-darkening and decaying world. And so even so, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. But until that time, Lord, that we would be faithful to you. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray you speak to us now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, how exactly does one lead a life that is... Pleasing to God. Have have you ever stopped and just thought about that? How does one lead a life that's pleasing to God? It can be, it seems, at times, uh, like an overwhelming kind of a process. It seems that it involves a whole lot of do's and don'ts, and quite frankly, it can be difficult, if not humanly impossible, to keep track of them all. I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was just one, maybe two things to keep in the forefront of our hearts and minds when it came to leading a life approved unto God. Well, we find in the Gospel of Matthew a certain lawyer perhaps having the same kinds of complications, same kinds of frustrations when it came to his own life. I mean, man, 600, over 600 commands in the Mosaic Law, and quite frankly, it's just exhausting, meticulous, and joy-draining to try and keep track of it all. And so there he is on that day. He comes to Jesus and testing him. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, uh, what's the one? Which commandment outweighs, overwhelms, absorbs, and takes precedence over every other command? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two hang all the law and the prophets. So that Jesus essentially makes a radical reduction of the entire Mosaic law. He takes it from over 600 commands and he boils it down to just two. If you will love God supremely with all that is within you in totality and love one another, you'll fulfill the whole of the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God for your life. Well, we're coming back in here in 1 John to the context of what it means to walk in the light, to know and to have fellowship with God. And John doesn't mince words. He doesn't pull punches. He speaks clearly, very directly. If we're to walk in the light as he is in the light, well, we will render then obedience to the word of God. Or as John has it, we will keep his commandments. Now, it seems to me that verse 5 of chapter 2 is kind of the springboard, if you will, that leads us into our section of Scripture for today. So let's actually rewind just a little bit. Let's look back. Let's turn our attention to verse 5, and we'll read down through verse 11, okay? So 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. 
And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Well, it's curious to me if you'll look back at verse 7. John says, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. But then he never really spells it out explicitly. He never states it plainly. He never says clearly what that commandment is. All he really says is that it's a commandment that we've had from the beginning. And so he's saying, look, I'm not informing you of some novel concept that you've never been exposed to. What I'm talking about is something that you have been informed of, uh, something that you have been instructed in since the day that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. In fact, this commandment has existed for as long as Christians have been a thing. This is a first day following Jesus kind of command that we have here in play. Guys, what John is talking about is so basic, so instrumental, so fundamental to what it means to follow Christ that if we don't get this one anchored in our hearts and lives, there's really no reason to move on to step B or step C. Guys, we need to stay right here on the starting block of A. This is square one in the Christian life. It's nothing new, it's something old, something basic that's been in place from the beginning. Having said that, look with me at verse 8. He says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Well, isn't that interesting? On the one hand, it's an old commandment. But then on the other side of the coin, he says, it's new. Now, if you're anything like me, you read that and you try to grab hold of that at face value. You find yourself kind of scratching your head and you're thinking, you know, I'm I'm doing the math. I'm trying to add it up. What exactly does this mean? How exactly does this work? Is it old Or is it new? John, come on, which is it? And John would say, well, to tell you the truth, yes. You know, I mean, and guys, I think at this point, we would do well. It would help us to understand that there's more than one way that this word new is used in our New Testament. And we should also remind ourselves of the connotations that it carries in the English language as well. Uh, meaning as, the, as to where in the New Testament was written in Greek and translated into the English. But even in our, our uh, native English language, we use the word new in more than one kind of context. I mean, there is a sense, yes, in which when someone uses the word new, we think never before seen, never before heard. Man, this is new, it is novel, it's something that we've just not been exposed to before. But then the other sense in which the word is used is is speaking of making something uh, fresh, you know, maybe a remake of an old song. It's not new in that the song is original, but it's new in the sense that, well, maybe there's an added dynamic, an added element, a different approach that kind of makes it fresh and it's new again, you see. And that's what John is saying here. 
The commandment that he's speaking of isn't new in that it's novel, never before heard, never before seen, experienced, or has anyone been exposed to, but it's new in the sense of an added depth, dimension, uh, understanding that hadn't really been put in place up to that point. Now, Maybe at this point, you're sitting there and you're, you're wandering, you're waiting for the big reveal, you know. I mean, what is this commandment that you keep referencing but not mentioning? I think most of you already know the commandment at hand. I mean, he teases us with it in verse 5, but then he speaks plainly of it in verse 10. It's the command that we have to love one another. In fact, he goes on record with it in his second epistle, and he just writes it plain. He says, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had notice from the beginning, that we love one another. Guys, it's something that we've been taught since the very beginning, day one of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So then... In what sense is it new? Well, it seems to me that John may be recalling in his mind that last night that he had with his Lord and with yours and mine, just prior to the betrayal of Christ, his subsequent, uh, subsequent crucifixion, And there they were, you remember, you can recall it, right, in your mind's eye. There they were in that upper room. Jesus had been serving them. He had been uh, sharing with them. He had washed their feet. He had identified his betrayer, and Judas had left the room. In fact, keep your finger in 1 John. Let's turn back to it together. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. So turn left in your Bible. Back to the Gospel of John and chapter 13. And guys, let's not forget that as it pertains to the Gospel of John and our present letter of interest in which we're studying 1 John, we're speaking about the same man who penned them both. And so these words obviously made an impact, obviously made an impression upon him. And so you're in, I trust, John the gospel, chapter 13, allow me to draw your attention to verse 31. Now, this is just prior, or just after, pardon me, Judas leaves the room. So Jesus has shared with them, he has served them, he has washed their feet, and then, you know, uh, he, he dips with Judas. Judas looks at him and says, is it I? And he says, you have said it. And he says, what you do, do quickly. And Judas leaves. He goes out and John tells us it was night. Now, in verse 31, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. And so now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, did you see what happened there? Jesus called this commandment to love one another a new commandment. Now, guys, we know the words, the exhortation, the command to love one another certainly was not new. Family, we just spent a couple of minutes, we just established in our opening remarks the fact that the whole of the law was fulfilled in the two commands to love God first and love others second. You know, if you love God, you will fulfill the first table 
of the law. You'll have no other gods before him. Uh, You won't commit idolatry. You won't be guilty of blasphemy because you love him supremely. You see how that works? And if you will love your neighbor, if you will love others as yourself, you'll fulfill the second table of the law. You will honor your father and your mother. You will not murder. You will not steal. You will not commit adultery. You understand how this works. And in reality, the entire Mosaic law, the entire law of Moses is kind of an exposition, an exhaustive definition, if you will, of how you're to love God and how they were to love others, right? We have all these commands, and essentially they revolve around loving God, loving others, and this is what that looks like in your life. And so this isn't, this command isn't new in the sense of novel or never before heard. But Jesus, now if you'll allow me the term, sort of gives the command a remix here. He kind of um, adds a dynamic. He attaches this clarifying, this qualifying standard to it that causes it to become new or fresh for you and for me. Did you see it there? Look at it again in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another As I have loved you, underline it, highlight it, circle it, do something with it, that you also love one another. Guys, the command to love one another is not new. But when Jesus said, as I have loved you, you also love one another, well, suddenly there's a clarifying, there's a uh, qualifying standard involved in what it truly means to love one another. You see, how is it that Jesus has loved us? I'm certain we could go on and on, but suffice it to say that He has loved us fully, He has loved us completely, He has loved us selflessly. He has loved us sacrificially. Would we agree? And we see it all throughout his life practically and how he loved others there in history when he was in front of them physically. And no doubt we could isolate many examples individually as we were to consider it, you see. But perhaps we see it most comprehensively, most fully at the cross. And this is the love that Jesus exemplifies, calls us up to, and commands us to imitate. Are you with me? You see, there's something in us that feels like we can kind of handle the command to love one another. I look at you, and I look at you, and I say, love one another. And you're like, okay, I got that. We can do that. But when we hear the words, love one another, exactly as Jesus has loved you, we kind of can shirk, kind of shrink Back just a little bit, man, man, that's a tall order. That's just no small thing at all. Ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the great lessons of the cross. Uh, Jesus is showing us the measure of love that he has for us and that God wants to work in us toward one another. Family, the cross demonstrates to us that the love of God is wide enough to include every human being. That is long enough to last throughout eternity. That it's deep enough to reach to the uttermost, we like to say, yea, even to the guttermost, that is the most guilty of sinners. And it's high enough to seat us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's the kind of love that could cry out to God even on behalf of those who were nailing him to the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And guys, this is the magnitude of love and the love of God. This is the kind of love that Jesus wants to work in us toward one another. And that's not all. You know, you say that you feel kind of like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. 
I mean, it would have been heavy enough, wouldn't it, had Jesus stopped at verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Hey, listen to me, as I have loved you, so you love one another. You know, when you think about how he served and how he shared and how he sacrificed and the magnitude of the love of God is displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ and its height and its depth and its width and its length and all of the things. And you go, my goodness, this is, I mean, this is really something, isn't it? But Jesus didn't stop there. He kind of kept on rolling. And so we have verse 35. Well, let's look at that again. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if, there's a qualifier, there's a caveat, you have love for one another. How is it that others are going to know that you are truly a Christian? Is it by the sheer scope of your great acts of service? Is it by the generous financial gift that you give again and again throughout the year? Perhaps by your diligent academic studies of Scripture, that's how they'll know. Or perhaps it's by all that time you spend in prayer. Jesus says here that the true identifying Mark of the genuine believer, the, how you say, evidence of the fingerprint of God on your life is love for one another. Meaning, listen, love for other Christians. People will be able to recognize you as a genuine follower of Jesus by your love for other believers. This is the barometer by which we are measured both by the world and by our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, the last time we were together, right? you got to skip back in your mind, week before last. I trust you can do it. We took a look at the moral measure of our walk that John set before us. In fact, let's turn back. Okay, turn back to 1 John uh, chapter 2, and we'll look at it really quick together. Look at 1 John chapter 2, and look at verse, uh, let's look at verse 3, okay? Are you with me? All right, guys. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I love the simplicity, the direct clarity that the apostle John speaks uh, to and with you and me. John says, listen, I'm going to give you a way to measure out whether or not you truly know God and have a relationship with God. It's super simple. Don't miss it. Do you obey God's word or not? Guys, God's word says, speak the truth in love. You find yourself lying to people all the time. You know, God's word says we're not to steal. Are you all the time thieving? Listen, if you're a lying thief, it's real simple. You don't know God. Okay. And that's overly simplified, but you understand what I'm saying. There is a moral measure involved in a relationship with God. Uh, the Bible says, let filthy language be put away from you. What's the reality of the way you speak when you're not around other believers or you're not at church, you see? It's not difficult. Later on, John will give us another barometer, uh, and it's the barometer of truth. And so there's a moral measure, there's a moral barometer that John gives us. Then there's the measuring stick of truth that he gives us. But listen to me, don't think for a second that John's going to let us get away without that third marker, that third indicator, and that's the barometer of love. And not in the ethereal, uh, emotional, uh, super spiritual sense of the word, but in the real, down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, 
attitude of my heart and display of actions toward my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, sense of the word. Because guys, it's real easy for me to stand up here before you and tell you how much I love God. You know, perhaps I could convince all of you that my love for God outweighs and goes far beyond and is greater than anyone else here in this room has or could maybe even hope to one day uh, acquire. I mean, my how I love God. But you can't see that, can you? I mean, I could be deceiving you. I could be pulling on your heartstrings, man. I could be manipulating you emotionally, you see. But what you can see is my love for other people. And so John says, I'm not going to let you get away with simply saying that you love God. You better show that you love God. And the way you do that is through how you treat one another as Christians. Look at verse 9. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now, and he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Essentially, what John is saying to you and to me is listen, talk is cheap. You can say, Oh, how I love God. It's so wonderful to walk in His glorious light. Amen, brothers and sisters. Isn't it just a glorious thing? You can have all the, the right Christian rhetoric. But if you don't love your brother in Christ, you're not in the light. You're in darkness. You're not in fellowship with God at all. Your words are empty. They are hollow, you see. And I have to confess, this can be a real struggle for us, can't it? I mean, can we have a momentary time for transparency here? A little honesty at church? We can at times fall into that mindset of, man, it would be so easy to be a Christian if it just weren't for all those Christians. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, Lord, I got no problem with you. I love you, Lord. It's that brother, you know, it's that sister of mine that just gets to me. And sibling rivalry in the family of God is a real thing, isn't it? But as parents, how many of you here are parents? That's the fair majority of you all. And as parents, think about how much you hate to see your children not getting along fighting and bickering and being hateful toward one another. There's nothing worse, it seems, in a family setting than to see your, your children fighting and bickering and, and just hating on one another. Think how God must feel when He looks upon His family and He sees so much bitterness, so much hatred in His children's hearts toward one another. Surely it breaks His heart. And it should break ours as well. I want you to think of how many people in the body of Christ are going through life hurting and scarred by the wounds inflicted upon them by other believers. And maybe that's you. And so you've decided that you're just not going to love like you should. It's just easier not to. Maybe you've come to the conclusion that it's just safer that way too. Now, I wish I could tell you that's okay. That I get it. I can do the math. I can add it up. The equation works out. That I've ran the dots, connected the dots, and it makes the perfect picture. I mean, it's understandable. It, you know, Listen, I can't tell you that. You can search this text. You can do a Greek in-depth type you know, study and, and all the things. And guys, 
You just don't find an exception to this command. You take that route of loving less, of, of, of not reaching out, of not, uh, you know, I'm just not going to love like I need to. It's just, it's easier that way. It's safer that way. I'm going to tell you, you take that route. You do so to your own demise. You'll find yourself out of fellowship with God and walking in darkness. Guys, there's simply no exceptions to the text. There's no, if you say you're in the light and hate your brother, you're in darkness Unless your brother's really hurt you, or your brother's really burned you, or he's really done wrong by you, it's not there. He who, uh, you know, uh, says he loves God and hates his brother, uh, you know, is in darkness, unless you're right and they're wrong. And they're being a jerk about it, you know. There just isn't any of that. And if that's happened to you, Guys, I, you know, I'm truly sorry. I really am. I'm, I'm, but the answer is not in drawing back. It's in reaching out in love. Because the measure by which we are defined as believers is this. Do we love one another? He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers, sisters, the point is plain. If we lose love, we lose everything. And this is where you just write down for time's sake so you can read it later, the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, yeah? You can do all the right things. You can believe all the right truth. You know, you can have that moral measure, that doctrinal measure. They can be right where they need to be. You can do all the right things. You can believe all the right truth. But you lose love. You lose it all. Think of the three measures. The moral measure, the the doctrinal measure, the measure of love. They're like three legs. Here they are. Boom, boom, boom. They're like three legs on a stool. You lose one. You don't get to have two of the three. You lose one, the whole thing falls. The whole thing topples. They stand together. You hold on to hate. You harbor bitterness. You lose your way. He doesn't know where he's going. You've lost your way. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. To hold on to hatred, to harbor bitterness, to hang on to unforgiveness is to invite darkness, blindness into your life. You're hindering your own spiritual growth. And that's what John talks about here, beginning in verse 12. Look at it. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. And I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, as you read through this, I don't want you to, to think along the lines of John addressing three different places in, you know, where one might be physically, like maybe you're a young person, a, a young person, young adult. I don't want to point to an old man. <laughs> old person, all right? So uh, he, he's not referencing three stages of life physically, but three stations in life spiritually. You might be a child, listen to me, regardless of your age physically, you might be a child spiritually speaking. Guys, it's where we all begin. You've been born again, and you're just waking up to this wonderful journey that God has planned for you. There's just nothing wrong with that. It's a precious place to be. John says, I want you to relish in this truth that your sins are forgiven. If that is you, you're a a brand new baby, a boy or girl in, in Christ. You've been born again. John says, listen, your sins have been forgiven. Relish in that. Rejoice in that. And they've been forgiven. Why? Because you're so great? No. 
but because he's so great for his name's sake. What a wonderful truth for us all to rejoice in today. If you're in Christ Jesus, listen to me, your sins are forgiven. Now, I feel like I should say that again because it didn't, uh, it didn't re- invoke a single amen. You missed your cue. Here we are, we're going, we're talking about this beautiful truth and I finish it and I get this. And I hear like crickets. Guys, if you're in Christ Jesus, listen to me. Your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Guys, that should joy your heart. I mean, maybe you're walking and you've been walking with the Lord some years now, eight, ten years, more, whatever. And truth be told, that news that your sins are forgiven, it just doesn't hit like it used to. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, my sins are forgiven, but that's been a long, that was a long time ago. Well, listen, then you've forgotten from where you've come and how sinful of a person you truly were. You think about who you were and how much God's forgiven you, and you'll get excited about His forgiveness all over again, believe you me. And here's one of the wonderful things to realize about forgiveness as a spiritual child. You're forgiven the day, the moment that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were as forgiven then as is the person who's walked with the Lord for the last 50 years. Guys, we're not forgiven like in in measure, like in degrees. You know what I mean? Like God doesn't forgive us somewhat, you know, and be like, look, I'm forgiving you like this and like that. But we're going to hang on to this one for a little while. We're going to see exactly what happens, how you develop here. And as you grow and, and, and mature in your walk with Christ, then, you know, and, and we'll forgive you the rest of it if, you're, if you get to that point. No, it's not like that. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are made new. And God wants you to rest and be blessed by this fact, you're forgiven. Now, perhaps you're on the other end of the spectrum, spiritually speaking. You've walked with God. Man, for decade after decade after decade. And, you know, you're too humble to ever say such a thing. But the truth of the matter is you are a spiritually mature individual. Uh, John says, I write to you because you've known him who's from the beginning. You have a tested, tried, and true relationship with Jesus Christ. You've known him. You're not speculating about him. You've walked with him for years and years and years. You've got roots that run deep. There is a depth of relationship with Christ that you just cannot find, guys, by any other means other than years upon years of being rooted and grounded in him. And there's just something special about being around a person who's known the Lord, you know, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. There's just a depth of character, uh, wisdom and love to them that you just can't find anywhere else. Guys, you can't get it out of a microwave oven. You know, you can't uh, pick it up through a, at a drive through window. Ladies and gentlemen, there's simply no substitute for years and years of an experiential relationship with Jesus. And then he writes to the young adults, spiritually speaking. He says, I write to you because you've overcome the wicked one. Allow me to state something obvious here. As believers, we are engaged in war. Spiritual warfare is simply a reality, and you and me, we have been called to fight the good fight of faith. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities, uh, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But guys, think with me on this. If you look at the military today, Do you see a ton of old men and women out there on the front lines fighting? How about 
toddlers or young children. You see them out there? Give this guy an M16, you know, get this kid out there. Do you see that? You know, you see some guy with like a cane out there. He's trying to, you don't, you don't, that just doesn't happen. We don't send children into war. And old men are like generals, right? We, we let them call the battle strategies from the war room. We, we call upon their experience, you see. It's the young adults, uh, those who have strength and vigor uh, and energy that are out there fighting and gaining the victory. Guys, spiritually speaking, it's the same way, okay? It's those spiritually youthful who are out there working hard, advancing the kingdom of God, getting things done, overcoming the wicked one. You're gaining ground. You're experiencing victory to the glory of God. Now, you may not be completely spiritually mature, but you know, that's not stopping you. You're getting the ground. You're gaining the victory. You're moving forward for the kingdom of God. You know what this tells us? It tells us that there's a real responsibility placed upon those young adults, spiritually speaking. And I've discovered something about this. Perhaps you have as well. Because the young man, the young person, is expected to engage and be about the hard work of the warfare, getting things done, taking ground, gaining victory for the kingdom of God... Too many people shirk their duty and remain, try to remain spiritual children for as long as they possibly can. They're like spiritual draft dodgers. They don't want to grow up. They, you know, hey, look, they've been in Christ for 10 years, but they won't engage in the hard work of the kingdom of God. Listen, something's wrong there. Now, forgive me if this comes across harsh, but I just have to say it. If you've been in Christ five years, 10 years or more, and you're not engaged in the kingdom business on any level, you have shirked your duty, soldier. You need to fall. You have dodged the draft. You need to repent, fall in, get in the battle. Listen, we need you involved in the work. And he says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Guys, now, this is the sad, the sad part of so many lives in our culture that, you know, how fathers have abandoned their families or people haven't had a good experience with their father growing up. And, you know, in our culture, it's like the, the dad not being around has just kind of become the status quo, and it's just, it's just tearing the fabric of our country, you know, apart. But it's a wonderful thing to be enamored with and look up to your father as a little child. You know, before I was pastoring, I did a little uh, work siding houses. And my son, Greg, he was my only son at the time, uh, would tell his babysitter, you know, my dad lifts houses, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and this is the way that it is for little children. Their dad is greater than the president, greater than the greatest athlete. It just doesn't matter. And guys, that's the way it should be with the child of God. Our dad, our heavenly father is everything. He is our whole world, you see. And he says, I've written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now we read this and we think, why, why repeat this? I mean, isn't there more? Isn't there something beyond that John should, should call us to? And the answer is no. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing more. There is nothing beyond. It is the greatest pursuit of our lives to know Jesus. Think about Paul the Apostle. Can you envision in your heart and in your mind anyone whom you would consider to be a spiritual father, a spiritually mature individual that would outshine, that would go beyond like the Apostle Paul in your mind? I mean, in my mind, he's like, he's it. He's the one, right? He's the, of course, as the Apostle to the Gentiles, I suppose it's appropriate that we would envision him as this spiritual giant, this, this mature man of God. 
And uh, you remember what he said? You can write it down. You can read it later. It's in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 10. And he says, man, for everything that I know, uh, for everything that I've accomplished in my life, he said, it's nothing. I count it as nothing. He said, all I really want is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Jesus, and I want to know him intimately. I want to know him personally. Every nuance, every detail you see, I want to identify with my Lord. There's nothing more. There's nothing else to know him. That's all I want, you see. Now, we're going to start moving toward a close here, Karen, but finally... He writes again to the young men. And he speaks not only of their victories, but he gives us the secret to and the source of their strength. Did you see it there? He says, the word of God abides in you. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Guys, this is important that we see. Don't fade out on me. Don't sleep on me in this moment, okay? It's not just knowing God's word that brings victory. You need to see this. It's submitting to God's word that causes you, that enables you to overcome. Guys, your take-home assignment, or if you're with us online, just your already home assignment, um, is to read through the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. You can just kind of make mental note or write it down. But you remember Satan came to him. And he sought to tempt him. And, of course, Jesus overcame. But how was it that he overcame? Well, you know, he quoted Scripture. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. He did. But it wasn't just in quoting Scripture. You remember Satan quoted Scripture back to him. It's not just in being able to say the Scriptures. But Jesus was submitted to the Scriptures. Submitted to God and His Word. You see, knowing God's Word is one thing. Submitting to God's Word is another thing altogether. But that is where the victory is going to be found. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank You for these lessons, both in love and in war today and I pray God that we would uh, be those who honor your word and that we not harbor bitterness or unforgiveness toward well, anyone really but that we learn Jesus to love one another as you have loved us and I pray that we grow to be all that you've called us to be, not shirking responsibility, not dodging the draft, as it were, spiritually. But God, that we would be busy about the work of your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we not just spend our time learning your word for the sake of being able to quote it and hack and slash people with it and but that we would be submissive to it may it begin in us lord guys while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed we spoke today of the forgiveness of God but I just want to extend an opportunity briefly here just quickly that if you haven't experienced that you don't know the forgiveness of God you can today 
right here, right now. The exhortation is to turn from your sin, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So if that's where you're at, man, if that's uh, resonating in your heart, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond to that. Just to say yes to Jesus Christ. So if that's you, I don't care how old, how young, where you've been, what you've done, all those things. You're right here now. So what matters is this moment. If you need Christ to come into your life, to forgive you of your sin and make you new, I'm just going to ask you to uh, raise your hand. And if I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second here. To say, you know what, today is a day of salvation for me. So Jeff, if you just pray for me, man, I would really appreciate that. I'd be glad to. Is there anyone I can pray for? Oh, God bless you, man. I see you there. God bless you. Anyone else? All right. Guys, what a word for us today. So much to think through, to to contemplate, to meditate upon. And and truly, I believe that that's how it goes from information to application. That's how uh, it goes from our head into our heart. As we meditate on it, we chew on it, we think about it. What it means to love one another what it means to fight the good fight of faith, what it means to to be about what God's called me to be about, you see. Whether that's locally in the body or, uh, you know, outward in the, you know, the mission field or whatever the case may be. Of course, the mission field is the moment you leave the doors. But maybe you're in that place today where it's like, man, today I'm starting brand new. You're saying yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Well, listen, the Bible is clear. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all do. But to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to have your sin cast as far from you as the east is from the west. That's what the Bible declares. An immeasurable distance. You can go from north to south. You ever think about why the Bible says that? You can go, I don't remember what it is, like 12,600 some odd miles. I don't know what it is. But you go from the north and you head south, you hit the south pole, you start going north again. That's a measurable distance. I'm going to tell you, you start going east, you'll never find the west pole. You'll just go east forever and ever and ever and ever. God's completely removed your sin. And so just come to Him. Look, it's not a prayer that saves you. you. You're saved by grace through faith, but yet at the same time, prayer is our communication. It's how we're talking with God. And so just come to Him and just tell Him, Lord Jesus, here I am. And oh, how I've sinned and fall short of Your glory. Lord, I'm asking You to forgive me right here and right now. And I'm asking You, Lord, to Come into my heart, into my life, that you'd make yourself real to me, and that you'd strengthen me, that I might live my life for you from this day forward, being light in this dark world. Just fill me with your spirit, God. And thanks for putting my name in your book of life. Father, we thank you that you hear the cry of our heart. We pray, Lord, that you just renew and refresh us all here today. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.